everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm your host, Dina McKay, and you can find full show notes for this episode at blacktechunplugged.com. If you follow Black Tech Unplugged on social media, you would know that this is the one-year anniversary of Black Tech Unplugged. So that's right, I have been on your podcast airwaves for one full year now. And I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who listens to the podcast, who shares the episodes with their friends and family. And I hope that you continue to rock with me for another year. And because it is the one year anniversary, I want to make sure that I'm bringing you the right content. And so I created a listener survey. And if you could just take a couple moments out of your day and fill out that survey so I can make sure that I'm bringing you the right content and the right people, that information is in the description of this podcast and also in the full show notes. So when you get a moment, head over click and do that listener survey for me. I appreciate it. So this is episode 14 and I have two brilliant guests on the podcast. I have Dr. Courtney Ziegler and Tiffany Michael. They are the co-founders of Zam Labs and Zam Labs is an idea to see tech incubator for mad scientists and social engineers. Their area of focus is solving problems for the world's most marginalized communities. So, so far, this team has created TransHack, which you'll find out a little bit about in the podcast, Blackstar Launch, which has sunsetted, but you'll learn about that in the podcast as well, Aerial Spaces, which you'll learn a lot about, and you can find out how to sign up for Aerial Spaces in this episode of the podcast, and a very important thing that they've created is Appalition, which is an app that converts your daily change into bail money to free black people. So this isn't mentioned in the episode, but I just want to give you some background so you can support their cause. So this app simply works by connecting to your bank account, and then for each purchase that you made, it rounds up your purchase to the nearest dollar, and that money is automatically donated to the cause. So this is the, they basically take this change and save it up and use it to help black people make bail. And as we know, there's a lot of African Americans who don't have the chance to make bail. So this is a great cause, and I hope you guys support. Besides all of the amazing things that they've been doing within Zam Labs, we also talk about a few other things. We talk about the Black Techie movement, how learning the social component to tech is what made them stay, their unique way of meeting because Courtney and Tiffany did not know each other before heading to a certain event. So you'll find out the unique way that they met and how empty bank accounts didn't stop them from trying and achieving their goals. So let's get it. Welcome everyone to the podcast. We have two wonderful guests today. We have Tiffany Michael and Dr. Courtney Ziegler. So welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Dana. Thanks for having us. So you guys both have very interesting stories to tell about kind of how you got into tech. So let's dig in. So Tiffany, you were not always a tech person, and you got started with IC Star. So do you want to tell the listeners about your time there? Absolutely. So um, tech was something that was I was always aware of. Uh, my dad worked for IBM in the early 80s. Um, and 
So we were one of the first families to have a personal computer on the block, got a modem really early, and talked, spoke to people, you know, in the military. Um, so I was aware of computing and had access to computing devices, um, but the industry itself never really spoke to me as um, a space that I wanted to grow and build in. And that was into before I found Icy Stars, um, which is a nonprofit in Chicago founded by a Black woman, Sandy Castro. And she founded the organization to teach young adults how to build applications using open source technologies, but specifically for mission-based organizations, specifically to solve problems in the communities that they lived in. And that was kind of my hook. Before that time, I didn't really realize that you could do mission-based work through tech. So once I discovered that was a reality, I was, was officially hooked. Uh, started at Drupal, PHP, and then eventually moved into .NET and Java and worked for Accenture as a software engineer for five years. So I just want to go back and clarify for our listeners, when you say mission-based work, let's expand on that a little bit. What does that mean? Absolutely. So when I, and this was in 2006, so not that long ago, 11 years ago, but at the time, most of um, the technology that existed was either gaming or social, um, so lots of games, MySpace was the hot thing at the time, and then it, there was business applications, and there wasn't a whole lot of um, applications to help drive nonprofits, civil, civil and civic work, um, those weren't conversations that were at least being had in the circles that I was in. A lot of the community organizing work was very face-to-face, hands-on, on the ground, and that was what I was interested in. But this particular organization's like, we're going to teach you how to build using accessible technologies, like open source technologies, and we're going to teach you how to solve community problems with that technology rather than just build a social network or build a business application. That was huge for me personally. That was really what got me hooked on tech and and had me look at it as an industry that I could build a career in. And so you mentioned you went to Accenture, but then after Accenture in 2010, that's when you start your entrepreneurial journey and thinking more about the educational space. Absolutely. Great experiences at Accenture. Grew professionally. Um, got to work with some really huge clients on some really large-scale projects. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I was using my skills in the ways that made the most sense to me and the ways that were most meaningful for me. And so at that time, particularly in Chicago, the Chicago tech and entrepreneurial community was really kind of taken off. Groupon and Grubhub had just launched. And, and so it was an exciting time to think about what it could look like to venture um, and so I started a, a independent technology consulting firm. Was building apps on top of the, the Salesforce, Force.com platform, and was only focused on organizations that were doing mission-based work. At the same time, I am a high school dropout. I'm a self-directed learner. I create my own learning experiences, and there were more conversations at that time about what it looks like to be a self-directed learner. What I felt like was missing from that was what it looked like to be a self-directed learner as a person of color, as um, specifically as a black person. And so I did a lot of thought work, public thought work at that time around, okay, what does it look like to create alternative spaces for learning? At that same time, Dev Bootcamp had just launched its San Francisco location. They were considering a Chicago location. And so then I helped launch 
the Chicago location for Deaf Boot Camp. That's awesome. From your experience with launching Deaf Boot Camp here, let's hear some of your struggles and lessons learned from that. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a great experience. It was great to be on a team uh, at a very early stage and to get more startup experience um, from a team perspective. And just from a skills and job readiness and workforce development perspective, it was really cool to have Chicago have a co-boot camp. Like I mentioned IC Stars was here, uh, and mm-hmm. IC Stars is officially the first immersive boot camp type environment, even though they're a nonprofit. Also launched here is the Starter School, the Starter League. It was called the Code Academy when it first launched, and then Dev Boot Camp was really the third player in here in Chicago in the space. But it was the first boot camp that was as long as it was, and that it was in, as intense as it was on the software engineering side. And we created some really cool models for immersive learning on site. Ultimately, I still don't think that we did the work that we needed to do to create an inclusive learning environment, specifically for people of color. And so, luckily, before we sold that boot camp, I met my co-founder, and that's when we began to explore what does it look like to really create a learning environments specifically for entrepreneurs and technologists of color. So, Courtney, this is where you come in, and obviously, you and Tiffany have a very similar mindset. You both are very brilliant, and so, Courtney, tell me kind of what your role is and how you and Tiffany met. Yeah, um... We met in 2014, and during that time, I was, I had founded an organization focused on building technology to transgender people's lives called TransHack. I launched it in 2013, and the reason why I did launch that organization was because I had completed my PhD a couple of years before that um, and had a really, really difficult time finding employment um, in, in across the field in any, any space that I was looking for jobs. So that was a really difficult time for me, but I also live in the Bay Area, kind of in the middle of Silicon Valley at this point. Um, so I was surrounded by entrepreneurship in the form of technology. Um, and so it was really important for me to figure out how I can kind of insert myself into that space and also make a space for trans people. So I did that with TransHack. Um, it was wildly successful. Um, we launched in Oakland late 2013 and was, was super supported creating a space for trans people. People were so excited for it. We actually became an organization. In the process of that, I uh, co-organized the third TransHack event with Tiffany, um, which was by chance because I was actually co-organizing with somebody, somebody else. And they had dropped the ball and kind of defaulted to Tiffany while she was at, at boot camp. But it was like a magical moment because... If that didn't happen, the event wouldn't have been as successful and amazing as it was working with her. So it was really, really great that that, that happened. And when we met and we had a great working rapport and just kind of similar values. And um, I actually had found a job by that time um, being a professor um, at San Francisco State University here in uh, San Francisco. And Tiffany was like, we should start a company together. And I was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> so I quit my job and decided to uh, become a full-time tech entrepreneur with Tiffany. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey ever since we've gotten to build quite a few awesome things. And really, it's really great for me finding someone who does 
share a lot of my beliefs in terms of work ethic, but also in terms of how I walk in the world as a Black person. And so I, I really enjoy being able to create with Tiffany. Isn't it awesome to find someone who understands your struggle as well as is ready to make that change? Because it is rare and kind of hard to find a good partner. Mm-hmm. Being Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, when I had founded Transhack, being new to the whole kind of idea of what a co-founder is, um, I had done a number of kind of entrepreneurial endeavors prior to being in tech. And so, and those were done, I have business partners in some regard, but it wasn't kind of a co-founder position. And so it was new for me to even be asked to be someone's co-founder. I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> this is the thing inside. People have co-founders and they build stuff together. Um, she was the first and last person who asked me to be a co-founder. So <laughs> I don't know if, if we ever break up. And we have almost broken up 50 left times, by the way. <laughs> we ever kind of like, <laughs> being honest, if we ever, you know, part ways, um, however it, it turns out, I don't know if I could remain a tech entrepreneur with another co-founder. That's for sure. People people always ask me, it's a thing, especially now that I'm um, in more entrepreneurial spaces and people ask, you know, there's always like, how did you meet your co-founder? And it was, it was, it was an amazing moment because I don't know who else I could be building with other than Courtney. Uh, just because like, like Courtney said, the shared values, we have complementary skill set. Um, and then because we had that opportunity to work together on a project to be to, to be around each other in a hackathon setting, um, we were able to build rapport with each other in a really short period of time. And it is, it's, it's, it's a journey, it's a struggle, it's similar to a marriage very much. And it's, it's because we have the, that shared value that, that we continue to move forward. Well, that sounds great. It sounds like you guys are in the midst of creating a lot of new product. Actually, let's touch a little bit on what you guys have already created. Yeah, so I'd love to, if, if Courtney maybe talked a little bit about Black Star Media. So when we met in 2014, um, uh, Courtney um, stepped down from his professor role at San Francisco State, um, and I left my role at Dev Bootcamp. I, when we just were thinking about what we would be and what we would build and really the problems that we wanted to solve, that's the place that we started at. It's just like, okay, what's missing? I We, we took on the the brand Black Star Media, um, which Courtney actually created um, and had existed for a few years, several years. Um, and so I, I, I really identified with what Black Star Media stood for. So I'd love if Courtney would um, share uh, that story. And then we can talk about how we kind of rebirth the Black Star Media brand and, and, and where it went from there. Yeah. Um, when I, at one point in my life, I was an artist <laughs> and I was, uh, I was a filmmaker. Um, and so all of my work that I produced was self-distributed and self-produced um, under Black Star Media, which was named after my, my scholastic work, my master's. And I have two master's degrees in both in Black Studies and a PhD in Black Studies. And so, um, me being an identifying a radical black person about blackness in so many ways, and and, and kind of enriching blackness and, and sustaining blackness and, and supporting black folks and, and our own endeavors. And so, I named uh, my film production line um, after the Black Star line, but using the term media because I was a media maker. Um, and so that's where Black Star Media came from. And I used it for about ten years. Uh, my films and my um, published writing work was under that label. And then when I met Tiffany, 
she wants she loved the name so much and the kind of history behind it and was like let's kind of use that um as our launching pad for the things that we want to do really getting together kind of building something um in tech that's focused on uh entrepreneurs of color specifically black folks so we kind of lifted the name to apply in that way absolutely and um so this was three years ago a little more than three years ago in 2014 um i i started my first professional development gig in 2006 and even though that wasn't such a long time ago it wasn't really as popular as it is now to be black in tech and i am someone who has thankfully always loved my blackness and so when i entered the tech industry that was something that seems to be a little off-putting for some that i was unapologetically black, loved my blackness, wanted to create safe space for black people. And so I felt really lonely in my pro-blackness in tech uh, space for a really long time. And so it was awesome um, to meet Courtney, who um, also uh, was committed to telling the stories of and creating safe space uh, for black people and all kinds of people. And so that was like, that's where we start. And I think that's that's as far as kind of like advice for entrepreneurs um, who are like don't know where to start or trying to figure out like what's that what's that sticky idea. I really felt like it was really important for us to start in the space that we cared so much about. Um, even though we got advice from people like, why are you gonna why are you building something for black people? Exactly like what Tiffany's saying is that like we started building in a time and like right on the, the the edge of before it was like cool to like have groups about blackness and and <laughs> you know like the events about blackness, which is still not that cool in tech, but um, in some ways it's kind of packaged very differently. But yeah, we were kind of on the starting edge of that. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting way to point it out, Tiffany. Yeah. And and it was ultimately our external brand has changed. And our parent umbrella company, the name of it has changed. But we wouldn't still be here if we had started in a place that wasn't, like, meaningful to us in our soul and started from, like, that those missions and values and, and figured out, okay, um, how do we find a market for our products while also staying true to the things that we really care about. And you know what? I like that you point out that both of you are passionate because a lot of people jump into things. Some people jump into things just to say, oh, I'm in tech now. And I just love that. Hear and understand the passion behind what you guys are doing. And one thing that I wanted to touch on that you mentioned was obviously we're all black and we're all, we're all in tech. But as we know, a lot of people leave the tech industry because they can't kind of handle the pressure. And as Tiffany, you mentioned that it, you love your blackness, you know who you are. What are some tips that we can offer for people who are black in tech who might not have that overall confidence? Oh, that's a tough one. I, mean, I was just going to say uh, hugs. First of all, hugs. Um, it's really difficult navigating a space professionally and creatively when it's filled with anti-blackness. into a space and you're made to feel super uncomfortable um, where you're constantly having to like prove your credibility over and over again. Um, and I think there is a group of people, there are a group of people or some ideas that are like around um, 
um, strategies for making uh, others feel comfortable. And I never have advice on that. So I'm not the one for that. But what I will say is find your community, find supporters, um, and just show up and be you and be awesome and build the things that you feel like are going to build you wealth and capital and nothing else because uh, in my opinion to, to make others feel comfortable in your presence is in vain yeah it is <laughs> so, so yeah and because you have been in the industry longer than myself so you've seen the industry evolve from where you probably were one of the only black people in a um, company environment have you seen the progression and evolution of being a black person in tech evolve for the better? Or are we still, I know we have a long way to go. But from your perspective, have you seen a... You know, it's funny because, so, so I started at a large consulting firm. Um, so it was, it was at Accenture. Um, and in a large corporate environment, um, these two, you're, you're going to have... Uh, evidence of anti-blackness no matter where you go but it was actually not as bad as it is in startup space and i was actually i thought that i assumed the opposite just not having a whole lot of insight i assumed that in an environment where people wore jeans and flip-flops and hoodies and whatever they wanted and it would just seem like a more free environment that you would see uh more people of color more people across lots of different spectrums and that was the exact opposite of what actually happened um when i left corporate and went to startup land i was like oh so there are just like no regulations around discrimination people just don't have hr departments so let me they're just able to be <laughs> extra racist from day one um and so yeah i, there, I, I think there definitely are more spaces uh like events and co-working spaces who have a focus on people of color than there were a few years ago. But I also think just the entrepreneurial freelance space has developed. So that has happened kind of naturally. But as far as the technology industry itself, there hasn't been a whole lot of change. And what, another thing I'll say is that there there are so many, I've always, my whole life, I've always known black technologists, my entire life. Like I said, my dad worked for IBM. And even like um, I have all of my aunts and uncles, there was some kind of tech component in their job. Um, the artists in my life, the writers, they were always using tech. It was just at this point, there was this moment where it was someone decided you either write code in these languages or you're not technical. And so that was weird. Or you like you're you're a t you're you work in tech in a startup environment or you're quote unquote not in tech. So that that was a weird thing that happened in recent years. It's very interesting um, to have someone who is technically to use the term millennial, right, and then has had parents and family members of all you know in all branches of working with tech and actually being part of a major tech company as IBM. But now we're in a moment where we're like <laughs> we're in the startup land moment, and all the kind of like you're, you, that's a great point to point out that there's no policies and processes set in place, such as a big corporation. That even though it is a big company, there's still things set in place so that the anti-blackness can be curbed a little bit. But you're also coming from a place where you know black folks have been in this space in a long time. It, I don't know. It's just like that's a, like a viewpoint a lot of 
folks are missing out on and really focus on not really kind of really focus on kind of the evolution of blackness in, in uh, corporate tech spaces and and in some ways how do we uh, look to that um and compare like you said the kind of startup landscape and, and create best practices for black folks and i totally agree with courtney because it's a lot of backstory that you one i learned personally but two there's People have no idea that when you go into a startup and you're in the startup world, it's like basically a free-for-all. There's nobody to say, that's inappropriate, or you can't say that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, actually, it makes me think of uh, Hidden Figures. So, yeah, and just, so, like, that that whole story, um, you know, there are so many stories like that. And you and then it makes you think of your own experiences and my own experiences as a black woman where you know you've contributed to some body of work to some innovation you know you contributed but your name is not there at all and then when we tell the stories of who was a part of building that we only see white male faces and then the assumption is oh well they are the only inventors the only creators which is false very true to continue on on the way that we were talking about then so there's always the discussion diversity and inclusion which personally i feel is kind of overused at this point but from your perspective of inclusion, what does that look like to you? Because personally, I feel like we have this definition of inclusion being more, making us feel like we're allowed in the space, so to speak. Because really, in, from my perspective, I'm not going to be allowed in a space. I'm either coming in there or I'm not. And that's my decision. But from an inclusive d- definition, do you feel like the tech space is becoming more inclusive? Yeah, I was just saying, actually, um, in December 2014, <laughs> so, so so, so Courtney and I um, officially launched our learning platform in July of 2014, and we were developing courses. We were providing education, resources, and support for entrepreneurs and technologists of color uh, because we knew that was what was needed to thrive long term and to really help people feel empowered uh, and that they could move forward and be successful in the space. So we we did a lot of thought work in talking about uh, what that looked like. In December of 2014, I wrote a blog called Diversity is Not Inclusion, expanding the conversation. It's about like a seven-minute read, and it still is very much relevant. So I encourage listeners to check that out. Um, I kind of did a, a full dump of my opinions um, on the space. It's I don't speak on that topic often just because I feel like it's still a really stagnant conversation and it's become not productive in a lot of ways uh, and harmful in a lot of ways. And so I am super focused on on building the, the tools that I feel like enable that without actually having that conversation. Okay, so actually when we're talking about you guys building tools, so you have a new tool that's out. Yeah, it's called Aerospaces. Aerospaces. Is a live video broadcast tool that helps organizations of all sizes reach global audiences through virtual events. Uh, one of the new and exciting offerings uh, from Aerospaces is live event heroes, which are on-demand support, human support for your virtual events. So when will we be able, when will the listeners, if they wanted to use aerial spaces, be able to have access? Right now, today. Right now, we are accepting customers for aerial spaces, and you can go to A-E-R-I-A-L-S-P-A-C dot E-S, and you'll be able to access all the public spaces that are there to kind of see an idea um, and also sign up for an account. 
and really want to talk a little bit about kind of like the evolution from Black Star Launch to Aerial Spaces mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Yeah, so we like Tiffany said, we were doing this uh, online learning platform for uh, tech entrepreneurs of color. That was really difficult to monetize, or at least we didn't figure out how to monetize it at that point. Um, we also knew we, we should, once we were in that space, figuring out how to sell the content we were making, we weren't, we were like, let's kind of sell it in a different format. So we're like, let's, let's hold a virtual, an online conference. <laughs> what does that look like? Um, we have all this content we got to get rid of. Um, and so we kind of, we got, we gathered about 30 people, um, uh, national and international, and we had an online conference. In developing the online conference, we sought out different tools. We were looking at different tools that, that could help us accommodate what we needed. Um, we didn't find what we needed, um, so we built our own. And it took us about, <laughs> about three days to have together this amazing kind of virtual conference platform. Um, and once we opened it our doors... It took three days? Yes. It took us three days. We were using WordPress. Um Tiffany knows I was a designer and Tiffany was the, the developer. So the core was WordPress and then it was a bunch of JavaScripts and um, JavaScript bootstrap and some plugins, chat plugins, collaboration tool, polling plat- platform um plugins. Um it was really about uh something else. <laughs> uh, it was really about how do we take these readily available technologies that are in these desperate locations and bring them together in a cohesive way to create a truly immersive experience and um so we had about like Courtney said we had about 30 speakers we had sold very few tickets uh I think we had sold maybe like less than 50 tickets we're like what is an online conference what does that mean (laughs) why would we buy tickets to watch a google hangout I think that was what people were kind of getting at um but once we launched the conference and we opened our conference doors and people were on the platform. They were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, we made the most money that we had made ever working together <laughs> in our year and a half that we were building. Um, and that's when we were like, we're on to something. So it wasn't necessarily about the content that we were providing or the technology that we were offering. Um, so we did a completely, we went a completely different direction. Um, and from that day we started, uh, we turned that hacked platform um, into what is now aerial spaces so that others can have awesome online events such as the one that we held in 2014. So you guys have aerial spaces now? So yeah, we launched our beta. Well, we, we started building aerial spaces in, in, in 2015, did a, a couple of virtual conferences uh, on our platform. Um, the last one was called Finance from the Start, um, which was all about... Um, helping entrepreneurs uh, raise funds, alternative ways, as well as how to manage those funds. And so then uh, powered a large uh, virtual conference for our customer. That and We did that with what we were kind of considering alpha at that point. Um, and so I guess as far as kind of advice for those building, um, we did not have the luxury to spend uh, six, eight, ten months building with the MVP. It wasn't viable. <laughs> it was just the M. <laughs>
Um, and so what we, were, what we were able to do is build something really, really small and then use that in consulting in white glove engagements uh, with others hosting virtual events and use that as a way to generate revenue as we were continuing to build. And so we launched an official beta that was kind of out to the public, well, not out to the public, but out to a few pilot customers uh, in April of last year. So it had some really cool pilot customers. GitHub and the Connect Home initiative with the White House was one of the first. We did some engagements with University of Illinois, Microsoft. And so we really got some really cool clients to test out our software with. We would also continue to do um, the events that were meaningful for us. So like uh, Ask Me Anything sessions, we actually built a custom instance of aerial spaces for TransHack, which is called The Loft. Yeah, we've got some brand new offerings coming out, services, uh, and we're really excited to, we've been doing virtual events for three years now, and they're still considered a new thing for many, and so we're really excited to turn the expertise that we've developed into the space into services that can be used by others in really meaningful ways, and I think that's what keeps Courtney and I going is we realized that it was about creating tools that could scale in lots of different ways so that we could both generate capital and make an impact at the same time, which is which is hard to do. And, I, and every time I think we, every day, <laughs> we remind ourselves of our story, our journey every day because it's been super difficult. But I'm really like impressed that we still figure out ways to generate even if it's the smallest amount of revenue with our ideas in a, in a space that doesn't want us to thrive in so many ways <laughs> so I, I even when Tiffany sharing about how we were uh building with no money and how we were building the smallest thing ever which was i think we did uh with one of our customers women's freedom conference so we helped them design their first virtual conference because they saw us do one um and so we helped them design their idea and put their idea on the paper and design their platform. And But we also got to test a little bit of our software during their event. Um, and so little things like that, we've been able to finagle. And I think that that's super impressive. And I think that that's one of the things that's super missing in a lot of conversations on what it is to be Black and in tech, um, about how to maneuver and in ways that that are not about lean, you know, that are very lean, but not necessarily following a specific lean methodology, but really following a, a black way of making it work. <laughs> and I'm like super impressed <laughs> with Tiffany and I that we make it happen out of nothing um, because we we have become experts um, by default because of other things that haven't really kind of taken shape. But that using our expertise, we still figure out ways to to keep going. And I'm just like every time I hear our story i'm like wow <laughs> you all haven't got, given up yet <laughs> that's really really cool and now we know and every day that we're kind of be, every day that we exist in the space our ideas are validated in so many ways and we're like well we can't give up now because we know we are we definitely know we're on to something um and we have solutions to kind of offer to people so right one thing that i really appreciate that you guys said about your whole path is even though you didn't have the funds you still kept going because we know how many people to mm -hmm. be like, you know, zero in their bank account. They're like, I'm over this. I'm done. I need to go back to corporate world and get this paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I love that you guys keep it going, even though, you know, sometimes it might, you might not be in the best situation, but 
And if you're really enjoying the content in the show, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Or you can send a review over to blacktechunplugged at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to share with your friends on social media using hashtag blacktechunplugged. Until next time.